there was a taste of spring in the air last week. But this week, we're back to winter. As everyone living in the capital region can probably attest, we've just been through everyone's least favorite upstate New York season, fake spring. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. All of those issues, even if you just took them one by one, could be investigations that could go on for months. We'll say goodbye to an intrepid reporter. I really dived into those neighborhoods and really tried to develop sourcing and contacts there. And we'll make some Oscar predictions. It is by far the most diverse set of nominations they've ever had. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. All right, let's join Times Union editor Casey Seiler for a look at what appeared this week in the Times Union and on timesunion.com. All right, Casey, top news now. Let's go over it. Uh, Let's talk about the latest on the, I guess I've, the multifarious is the best word to describe it. The multifarious controversies that are facing Governor Andrew Cuomo. And I think maybe Assemblyman John McDonald of Cohoes, who's a Democrat, may have captured it most memorably when he uh, said during an assembly meeting, quote, Cuomo's got three major buckets of SHIT going on here. So can you elaborate? Yeah, well, just to be clear, the the assemblyman did not spell it out. But yes, thank you for being genteel on this podcast. Yeah, the, the <laughs> governor is is facing three overlapping controversies that are now, and this is the reason why Mr. McDonald mentioned it, are now the subject of a potential impeachment inquiry to be handled by the Judiciary Committee of the Assembly. Impeachments have to begin in the Assembly. The three issues involve the Cuomo administration's handling of coronavirus in nursing homes, which we've spoken about at some length. Of course, the sexual harassment allegations against the governor and the subject of the investigation that our Brendan Lyons has you know, worked on for eight months and that uh, was posted online, printed in the paper earlier this month concerning a potential structural flaw and an alleged cover-up of same on the Governor Mario Cuomo Bridge, the subject of Brendan's story, Broken Bolts. Now, those are three very complex uh, issues that are going to be examined by the, the Assembly Judiciary Committee, all of those issues, even if you just took them one by one, could be investigations that could go on for months. The bridge story involves a whistleblower lawsuit that has been moving through the system for five years. This is not at all a kind of a simple, let's have a hearing, fact-finding issue. These investigations could go on and on and on for a long time. And what many progressive voices, especially in the assembly, are saying is that they fear that it will take so long that this is just essentially a stalling tactic 
to give the governor time to essentially ride this out. Now, we've got some great stuff on timesunion.com right now that takes a look at all of this in detail. So head on over there after this podcast. You won't be disappointed. Um, Also in state news, though, uh, something that's been you know, circulating for a while as well, is the legalization of recreational marijuana. I hear we're close. What what do you hear? Yeah, that is what legislative leaders, especially um, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins have been saying. She says it's not a matter of, it's a matter of when, not if. Uh, She said they're extremely close. They're trying to iron out issues surrounding impaired driving, specifically whether it should be a misdemeanor or uh, a violation. And uh, it it goes to the question of whether or not, among other issues, whether or not police can stop you if there is an odor of marijuana. That is seen as being a tactic that tends to be deployed against people of color by law enforcement. It's one of the many controversial aspects of uh, of drug law enforcement that uh, this legislation has to deal with. Again, more on that uh, at our Capital Confidential blog at timesunion.com. Moving to the city of Albany, a police officer has been exonerated by an arbitrator. uh, And this police officer was involved in a 2019 incident on First Street in Albany. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, this is Matt Sieber, who was one of the officers who back in March of 2019 responded to a call of uh, a a raucous party going on at uh, a residence there. It turned into a melee in which a police officer uh, has another police officer, not Officer Sieber, has been accused of of felony assault. Three men were charged. uh, Three men at the party were charged. Those charges were very quickly dropped after cell phone video from this incident came to light. Matt Sieber was caught on body-worn camera, um, essentially police video, kicking in the door of this residence after he was denied entry. That was one of the issues that was um, brought up by the disciplinary committee. A mediator who essentially sit in judgment on these disciplinary issues determined that Sieber should receive training and, uh, and some degree of, uh, of professional sanction, but should not be fired. Mayor Kathy Sheehan wrote back in response to that saying that this mediator shouldn't be used again and saying that based on the the mediator's judgment and ruling in this, it appeared that the misdeeds that were committed against the residents were not given enough weight in the consideration, the resolution of this. Certainly a polarizing story that we've been following for a while now. Uh, moving into business news, uh, Plug Power. It's a company name that that I hear a lot in our uh, news meetings and that has come up a lot in the headlines. Can you tell us what's going on with Plug Power? What's the latest there? Earlier this month, Plug Power, the um, kind of cutting edge battery manufacturer, power source manufacturer, said that it was going to have to um, redo some of its financial filings, blaming accounting trouble for those issues. When this came to light, its shares dropped precipitously. They, of course, have a, a very strong market capitalization, so they insist that this is in, in no way a, a fatal injury. They, they are essentially writing it up as a paperwork question that you know expenses were not properly or correctly identified as such, and they were working with all dispatch to fix it. 
but Wall Street definitely took notice. All right. Moving back to Albany here, uh, a very exciting thing is happening, at least for, for those of us who live in the city of Albany and who frequent the city of Albany. The Albany Skyway, it's supposed to begin construction this month. Can you tell us what that is and what we can look forward to? It's a $13 million project that is going to be built upon one of the ramps that comes off of I-787, which of course runs along the Hudson River. It's going to be turned into uh, what's known as a linear park, which is going to be a definite improvement to Albany's waterfront. And the construction on this uh, $13 million project is supposed to begin later this month, and I believe hopefully be done by the end of the year. So a nice addition to the city of Albany. Yes, it's really exciting. And head on over to timesunion.com for some really cool drone footage that our photographer, Will Waldron, took. It's, it's really exceptional. Now, one final thing I want to touch on. We have a uh, limited run TV series that is headed to film here in the Capital Region. Uh, and it has to do with plumbers specifically plumbers for the White House. And by plumbers, I don't mean actual plumbers, but uh, the masterminds behind the Watergate scandal. That would be E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy. So can you tell us more? Yeah, this is brought to you by many of the same people who brought you Veep. What more can you ask for than a a Watergate drama or potentially comedy drama from those folks? Because that's one of the funniest political satires out there. Woody Harrelson, and Justin Theroux, who are both kind of HBO veterans from True Detective and The Leftovers, respectively, are going to play Hunt. Harrelson is Hunt. Theroux is Liddy. Both of them notorious, both of whom went to prison as a result of of their involvement in the Watergate scandal. Uh, I would also point out that both Hunt and Liddy have New York roots. Hunt was from Western New York. He is buried out in the town of Hamburg where he was born. And uh, Liddy was born in Brooklyn. He went to Fordham. And you might not know this, Jess, but he served as an assistant district attorney in Dutchess County and was involved in the arrests that were immortalized in the Steely Dan song, My Old School. trivia question. Um, And of course, the Times Union itself has kind of a tie to uh, not to the scandal itself, but to coverage of the scandal. Do you want to just quickly highlight that for us? Yeah. Harry Rosenfeld, who occupied my chair, as it were, as uh, as editor of both the Times Union and its sibling paper, the Knickerbocker News, back in the 1980s, came to the Times Union after being the, um, the assistant managing editor for Metro at the Washington Post, where he oversaw the Watergate coverage of two reporters named Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. In fact, Harry is the one who hired Bob Woodward at the Washington Post. That's a wonderful connection that we have there. And speaking of movies, I'm just going to throw it a later in the podcast. We will have uh, C.J. Lias's Oscar predictions. So that's something to look forward to. Casey, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jess. If you've read the Times Union, either in print or online at any point for the past six years, you've likely seen reporter Amanda Fries byline. She has extensively covered the city and county of Albany, as well as serving as statehouse reporter for the last year. She's an award-winning journalist, a fierce watchdog, 
and a seeker of untold capital region stories. And sadly for us, she'll be headed south to continue her career in Wilmington, Delaware. I caught up with her for one last conversation before she departed. So tell me a little bit about your journey here. What did you do when you started? When I first started at the Times Union, it was as the Saratoga County reporter. Rex Smith, who was the executive editor at the time, had actually like contacted me directly because it might have been in like a year prior, I had reached out to the Times Union just to put my name out there. I was looking to get back into journalism because at the time I was I was working for a state agency in communications and was hating it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I was I was eager to get back into journalism. I quickly realized that that's that, you know, that's where I thrived and, you know, where my skills were best utilized. And, you know, Rex had contacted me saying, hey, we have this opening. Are you interested in interviewing? And uh, at the time I was at the Poughkeepsie Journal um, down in the Hudson Valley. My now husband was, uh, but at the time he was my my boyfriend, um, was in Albany. So it really made it made sense for for me to to apply. And it worked out because I, you know, uh, was able and fortunate enough to join the Times Union. And um, within a couple of days. So you've had but you've had multiple beats since arriving. You started out as the Saratoga, but from what I heard very shortly thereafter, moved on to a different beat. Tell me about all your beats. Yeah. So Saratoga was very short lived. You know, within a week of me being at the Times Union, um, the Albany City and County beat opened up and, you know, they asked if I was interested and I certainly was. I was thrilled at the opportunity. Uh, Certainly, uh, Albany has been an interesting city to cover over the years, and that's where the majority of my time was spent at the Times Union. I certainly learned a lot and, and got to cover some really some really interesting uh, stories along the way. And then the last year, uh, I've been uh, covering the Capitol and working um, in the Capitol Bureau covering COVID and everything else related to state government. Now, it's certainly been an active year for state government, if you know what I mean. There's a lot going on, so you probably weren't too bored with it. No, definitely not. Um, it, you know, the the Capitol Bureau and, and state government, especially in New York, it seems, is always interesting and there's always plenty of stories um, to tell. I was able to kind of take the opportunity to dive into some topics that I've been particularly interested in and I've wanted to dive into deeper on previous beats, but just didn't have the opportunity those include, you know, affordable housing issues. And obviously, once COVID hit, and there was the eviction moratorium in place, that became uh, a topic that I I regularly circled back on and did a lot of follow up because it was just something that so many people were concerned about. And it impacted a lot of folks, not just, you know, across New York State, but here in the capital region. The other topic that I, you know, on the state beat that I really found an appreciation for, and it's something that I, I don't think many reporters realize, is is covering the intellectual and developmental disabilities community. They were really pummeled during the COVID-19 pandemic and the height of it with, you know, state funding being withheld, cuts to reimbursements to service providers, and just an overall question of whether 
the state was, you know, really dedicated to, to helping these individuals succeed. You know, just today, I actually received an email from the father of a couple I had interviewed recently who was struggling to find housing that was supportive. He had recently gotten engaged to a woman he met at a, basically like a mixer for folks with disabilities downstate in Brooklyn. And I, I learned today that OPWDD, which is the state agency that oversees people with disabilities and the programs for them, uh, were able to secure housing, supportive housing for the couple. So that was some pretty awesome news. I definitely read that email and started crying. And, oh. you know, it was just a, a recognition of the work that we do is really important. And there are avenues and s- sectors and, and individuals that even though we have a very robust uh, media coverage of the Capitol and state government, there's still angles that aren't being tackled. So it it just presented a a lot of great opportunities. We will certainly miss your contributions in that realm for sure. Are there any stories that that really stood out as ones that you found particularly rewarding to report or you think are really memorable? This was towards the end of my time on the Albany Beat, but I really enjoyed, you know, getting to know folks in communities of of color, specifically, you know, there certainly is some some segregation based off of redlining from years prior in Albany, where the majority of minorities are in certain neighborhoods. And so, you know, I really dived into those neighborhoods and really tried to develop sourcing and contacts there. And, you know, with that came um, the coverage of the First Street police encounter where an individual was pulled out of his home by uh, a police officer and kicked. And, um, you know, uh, that is still an ongoing case. Um, but there is an Albany police officer who, who has been charged in, in relation to that particular incident. And just the coverage that I was able to do following that incident and, and learning more about the issues that were occurring in the neighborhood where this particular incident occurred and some of the mechanisms that were available to city officials that they didn't really use, as well as, you know, there was certainly also the question of the police report and and whether all of the information in there was was accurate and truthful, which, you know, I, I had done some coverage about that in particular as well. So I would say police community relations really was something that I found super important in Albany and, you know, really left an impression on me personally as a reporter because we were essentially experiencing our own racial reckoning here in Albany for some time and to be able to to cover that and, and provide at least a little bit of a glimpse into what was going on for the community. I hope that's, uh, that folks found that um, impactful and important for them to read. Well, there's a very robust archive of stories that you've written on that and other topics, and I highly encourage anybody to go to timesunion.com and check them out, um, even though you're leaving us. <laughs> and on that note, I want to ask you what you're moving on to. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're moving on to? Yeah, absolutely. So I am going to be the Wilmington, Delaware watchdog enterprise reporter for the News Journal um, down in in none other than Delaware, which happens to be the home state for our fair um, 
U.S. President Joe Biden. Um, so I don't know if that potentially might get me some, you know, presidential stories uh, simply because we're I'm going to be working from the home state of the president. But I'll be focusing on those impactful stories in, in Wilmington and really taking everything that I've learned at the Times Union and what the many sources and people in the community who I've spoken to and t- and they've allowed me to tell their stories what they've all taught me. I'm going to be, you know, taking that with me to tell um, the stories of people in Wilmington and hopefully uncovering some things that potentially will change uh, for the better. That's wonderful. We wish you the best of luck. We'll miss you because in this day and age, you know, physical distances, obviously, if we, as we've learned in the past year, are not uh, hard to overcome anymore. So, so we will be hearing from you, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you. I appreciate it. After the break, the moment you've all been waiting for. We're going to hear features writer C.J. Lias's Oscar predictions. Hi, I'm Casey Seiler, editor of The Times Union. Join us for an ongoing discussion on major developments in the saga of Keith Raniere, co-founder of Nexium, the shadowy upstate New York organization at the center of the explosive federal investigation that resulted in Ranieri's conviction on charges of extortion, sex trafficking, and more. We talk to former members of Nexium, discuss the latest news, and preview the likely next twists in this bizarre and disturbing story. You can find Nexium on trial at timesunion.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced the 93rd Annual Academy Award nominations in Los Angeles this week. Anyone who's worked in the Times Union newsroom over the last 20 years knows that when Oscar noms come out, you go directly to features writer C.J. Lias for his predictions. So I did just that, about 2.5 minutes after the announcements were made. Lias's initial take was that while many agree this year's nominees list makes larger strides toward inclusiveness of the work of women and people of color, it still leaves something to be desired for recognizing the work of the LGBTQ filmmaking community. But I gave him a few days to digest the list, and then I begged him for his picks. Here's our conversation. I'm delighted to share that this year's Oscar ceremony will take place April 25th at both LA's historic Union Station and the landmark Dolby Theater. Let's start with kind of a big picture look at the awards this year, pun intended, of course. Uh, Looking at all of the nominations as a whole, it seems like women and people of color are getting more nods than they have in years past, um, more recognition. So can you kind of talk about what you're seeing here? Most people remember a few years ago, it all started with hashtag Oscars so white yep. because of the lack of diversity. And, and they really put an effort over the years to uh, expand and diversify their membership and um, put new uh, rules in place and, and different things. And, and after what just happened with the Golden Globes, 
they're really showing the model of how to do this. Surprisingly, because usually they're not the most uh, forward-thinking group, but this time they seem to to have it uh, in hand. And so, I mean, there's there's records galore this year. Unfortunately, it didn't show as much in the best picture lineup. Judas and the Black Messiah is is up, and and Minari is up, but Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, The Five Bloods, One Night in Miami, they're not in the best picture category this year, which is a shame. There's still two spots that could have been uh, filled with two more movies because there's only eight nominated this year. That seems strange. There's only eight? The voters send in their ballots. They uh, have to rank their favorites in order, and they have to have a certain number of number one rankings, certain number of number two, and if they don't meet that threshold, they just don't make it to the top five to ten. I, it's, it's silly, but that's how they do it. <laughs> Elsewhere, it, it is by far the most diverse set of nominations they've ever had. Out of um, the 20 acting nominations, nine are people of color. That's unheard of for the Oscars. Several of them are the front runners. They're the favorites right now. So, I mean, you can go down the list. Viola Davis is now the most nominated Black actress ever with her fourth nomination. <laughs> Stephen Young, first Asian American in the lead actor category ever. Riz Ahmed, the first Muslim in the lead actor category. And then, of course, one of the big things was already predicted ahead of time was the director's category, where two women nominated for the first time ever. That many, I mean, there have only been, I think, five women nominated and only one has won. And now we have two in the same year. Personally, I think it should have been three because I think Regina King should have been in there. Regina King should win all the awards ever. I agree. I agree. Nothing is not made 100% better with the involvement of Regina King. Chloe Zhao, she is the first Asian woman, the first woman of color in that category. So there's there's two more uh, records for you. What is she nominated for, for those who don't know? For Nomadland. And there's another record. She has four nominations this year. The first woman to ever have four in one year. She wrote it, she directed it, she edited it, and she produced it. So... And then with her and Lee Isaac Chung, the director of um, Minari, now you have two people of color for the first time ever in the, in the category. Judas and the Black Messiah is the first Best Picture nominee ever where all of its producers are Black producers. That's the first. Nice. The first ever Black craftspeople at all, but I know it's definitely the first Black women nominated in makeup and hairstyling ever for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And actually, they're the probable winners in that category. Yoon Yoo Jung for Minari in the Best Supporting Actress category. She is the first Korean performer ever nominated in any category. Of course, all this isn't going to mean anything unless the winners are the people of color and the women. Right. And, and, you know, all of these firsts kind of come translate into actual Academy Awards. And the thing is, I think this year they will in many categories. Let's move into snubs. Okay, so sure. what were the top snubs that stood out to you? I always bristle at the whole snub thing every year because I I can't pull anybody out of these categories. There's no one who doesn't deserve to be there. So it's kind of like you want to expand it to 10, like they do can do with the the best picture. Sure. There. So, so, but we call them snubs because it's easier, but yeah, I've got a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go with your like top three. (laughs) Sure. Well, the the movies I already mentioned for best picture, but um, Regina King as best director, hands down Delroy Lindo into five bloods. When that movie came out over the summer uh, on Netflix, it was polarizing in a lot of ways, which all Spike Lee movies are. But 
I watched that and I said, oh, there's your best actor nominee right there, Delroy Linda. Most people thought that too. And then as always happens, time passed, other movies came in, other things happened. It's moment passed, which is a shame because it was, it's a phenomenal performance. All right, let's move on to your predictions. The moment we've all been waiting for. <laughs> let's talk about the top five categories, best picture, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, and best supporting actress. Because let's be honest, that's all most people want to know about. Not me personally, uh, right, exactly. but yeah. So I'm so, just gonna I'm just gonna give my prediction before any before you say any of yours. Just okay. just for one of the categories, I'm pretty sure that Chadwick Boseman has the best actor nod clinched. I mean, there's no question about that, and it's not just because he died. All right, no. your turn. And he could have had two. He could have had a supporting for Defy Bloods too, which some people thought he, it might have happened this year. Supporting actress. This is the toughest one, I think, because you can go any number of five ways, I think, in this category. My gut right now tells me it might be the veteran Korean actress from Minari. In supporting actor, I think it's Daniel Kluye's award to lose. I really do. Anyway, there's people. It's power. I don't think anyone's going to overpower him in this. Um, Leslie Odom Jr., just by sheer force of the Hamilton craze? Don't think he's Well, I think, here's the thing. He's a double nominee this year. He's one of several double nominees, or multiple nominees. Um, he is nominated for that same movie for Best Song. That's the front-running favorite right now for best song so i think gotcha. he will win an oscar which by the way will put him only an emmy away from being an egot winner if he does oh win the gosh. oscar this year someone hire him for a hit television show exactly. please <laughs> in, in best actress i think right now the push is really for carrie mulligan so if a friend came to you now came to your house and told you that they thought something bad had happened to them the night before Cassie. something bad Again, I think it go any way. Uh, Andre Day just got the Golden Globe. She has momentum there. Viola Davis is always a possibility, as is Frances McDormand. But they both recently won. Sometimes that's held against you, or sometimes they just want to award fresh talent. And especially in the case of Andre Day, it's her screen debut. She's a singer, and she did this phenomenal job. So they love doing that. A lot of times in the supporting category, someone like a Jennifer Hudson yes, in Dreamgirls, that kind of thing. But I think Carrie Mulligan, it may be her time. Her promising young woman. <laughs> promising right? young woman, yes. Gotcha. Which, which has, you know, been a lot of people's surprise favorite this year. Sure. I wouldn't be sad if any of those five women won, so. Mm, definitely. All right. So we got best actor next. Best actor, and go right back to what you said. Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick Boseman. I would say that if he was, if he was here with us to collect that, he, he deserved it. Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, he's like the physical embodiment of electricity the minute he comes on the screen in this movie. It is, it is breathtaking how good he is in this movie. I ain't like you, color. I got talent. Oh, Me no. and this horn, we tight. If my daddy had a note I was going to turn out like this, he would have named me Gabriel. Oh. And this is, a, this is a classic August Wilson play turned into a movie. I mean, this, is, this has been done by other greats before and uh but same thing with viola davis they're both 
commanding performances. Yeah. yeah, he deserves it beyond beyond all measure. I didn't give him a stutter, man. Some of my songs I wrote, and he said he's gonna let me record them when I get my band together. I just got to finish the last part of this song. I got stopped. We lost him far too soon. Oh yeah, and I mean, he, and and you go back. His stature is only going to grow and grow because the movies he has done, he's been great in everything. Mm-hmm. Beyond the fact that he is Black Panther, which kind of rocketed him, him to, forever. yeah. Um, but he he has been one of those people, and it's kind of it goes back to maybe like 30s and 40s, even 50s, where certain actors and actresses were known for playing real life figures, like that mm. was kind of their niche. He's played James Brown. He's played Jackie Robinson. He's played. Um, well, Thurgood Marshall. Mm. That that's going to be his legacy. Yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to the moment when uh, we memorialize him with an Oscar. Honestly. Yes. All right. Big big category. The the big star at the end. The best picture. Who's going to get it? I don't think it's going to be a shocker. It's it's taking everything so far. Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you Nomads. I think Chloe Zhao is going to win director, and Mm -hmm. I think Nomadland is going to win best picture. You don't think Minari has a chance? You know, there's always some surprise, and maybe it'll be in one of the, I don't want to say lesser categories, but, you know, the below the line categories this year. But there's always a chance. I mean, there's Vanessa Kirby could win best actress for Pieces of a Woman. I mean, it could be something like that. Minari could win best picture. And I don't think that would be a bad thing. We're going to check back with CJ after the Oscars next month, so stay tuned for more movie talk. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Albany Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom.